The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Perhaps you noticed from looking at the uh, episode description, but we've got a little bit of a longer episode this week, and that is because we are doing something different to celebrate Father's Day. I'm talking to three guys who have made a name for themselves in this business, but grew up with a dad that was an icon, whether it was locally, whether it was nationally, but a dad that people that follow sports media, that follow sports and thus do it through the sports media, knew and knew well. We will talk to uh, Spike Eskin, whose dad was Howard Eskin. His dad is still Howard Eskin. Uh, we will talk to Wes Durham, whose dad is Woody Durham. Uh, but first, we are going to open it up with Mike Golick Jr. It's pretty obvious who his dad is, right? We talk about not only what he learned from his dad, but also the pressure that can come with following in such a big shadow at some of the very same places. Mike, you and I have talked about this before. They're obviously was no shine away from the legacy of your dad, of being your dad's son. A, you share the name, but I mean, from Notre Dame to ESPN, the path was virtually the same as well. Yeah, and I think that was always part of the idea, is my dad was someone I looked up to and wanted to be like. And so I think subconsciously as a kid, what I just ended up doing was going, all right, well, what are the things that made him him and my mom her and got them to be the people and the parents that they were? And I looked around and said, all right, football is a part of that. Notre Dame is a big part of that. And because of, you know, when my dad's career in the NFL finished, I don't have a lot of memories from that. So Mm -hmm. I grew up thinking of and watching my dad as a sports broadcaster. So that was just another thing I saw him doing that I wanted to emulate. And, uh, yeah, no, the uh, the path definitely was was well laid out before me. And I had the ultimate guide. Like, I I had something that – and someone that had done everything that I wanted to do and could tell me, hey, here's how you go about this. Here's the work that you need to do and to go from there. So I wonder, like you say that he is the guy you always wanted to emulate, the guy you always wanted to be when you're younger. I mean, you're not even in high school at the point that Mike and Mike becomes the focus of ESPN radio. And your dad is one of the guys nationally uh, in the format. Was there ever a moment that you kind of looked at the shadow he cast in this particular business as maybe too big? No, like I don't really think I even felt that until I got to ESPN, right? Because you got to think with everything else. First off, you're right. I was young when Mike and Mike really took off, which meant that it was always kind of normal to me. Right. Like for better or for worse, that level of attention and the fact that our lives were on very public display because what we did as kids was going to be fodder for air. What we did was going to be talked about because that's how they wanted the show to be. We got used to that kind of attention and just, you know, being able to turn on the TV and see dad was something that was pretty (laughs) normal for me my whole life. So, you know, sitting in the training room in college and hearing them play the damn porn bed music on Mike and Mike while I get my ankle taped, probably less than ideal for what I was looking for (laughs) when my dad would make jokes about going home to my mom. But, um, But no, that stuff all felt normal. And for the rest of it, like even football wise, while even doing that, I heard the nepotism cries going to Notre Dame. You're only there because of your dad type thing. It's a lot 
like you feel it a lot less because in that case, Gad wasn't on the team with me. Gad wasn't at Notre Dame. So I was at school by myself with my brother and sister for five years. And you get to go out there and you get to do all that on your own. There's no one there helping you with that day-to-day or to be a comparative point day-to-day. It was, you know, when I got to ESPN and now all of a sudden I'm doing some of these things next to him. And I'm in the same building in a radio department that he essentially helped build with the success of that show. And so once you get there, then you look around and go, oh, man, this is a pretty big deal, not just to the people that would come up to us at restaurants when we were kids and talk about how Mike and Mike was on in the delivery room and they were bur- you know, having the birth <laughs> of a kid or something like that, but inside the industry as well to people that would go on to become my peers in the job who were closer to my age who got their start through that show or got their platform and their voice maybe elevated at a critical point in their career because of the platform that that showed allowed. And so starting to see some of that and then eventually being in a chair next to dad might have heightened the awareness a little bit more there. Was there an effort once you got to ESPN by whether it was people on the radio side, TV side, was there an effort to, I guess, make sure you carved out what Mike Golick Jr.'s identity was? Was there ever a pressure to maybe lean out of the Golick name for you a little bit? There was only one conversation like that ever because no, it, by and large, I was allowed to basically, you know, create my own version of what that looked like for me. And I was super fortunate. Like ESPN gave me so many opportunities to be able to learn what Mike Golick Jr., what I sounded like on any of these platforms. It was because I got to do the four to six AM radio show that mm-hmm. led into Mike and Mike and then Golick and Wingo. It's because I was there when ESPN Digital was really getting off the ground and got to do all of these digital live shows for them, college football games. Like, just through sheer volume of reps, I got to kind of figure out what that was. But it was funny. The only conversation that we ever had about anything concerning me and dad and how that was perceived was when I was getting ready to start having that small role that turned into me being on for the full hours for Golik and Wingo was when I went over there, there was a conversation of, all right, well, you should, you should probably call him Mike instead of dad to make it, you know, so people aren't <laughs> harping on that. And I'm like, I'm not, I said like, I'm not going to sit next to my dad and not call him dad. Like this is, this is who we are. We're not going to shy away from any of this. This is a part of why this show will either work, why people will like it or not is because you've got the unique nature of having a father and son on air. And so I, I think, that was something that we were always going to lean into because that was special. And that was the fun of getting to work with dad is that I was working with a guy and having these conversations on air that we had had behind closed doors and on couches at home for 25, 26 years before that. But uh, that was really the only time and it got shot down pretty quickly. It came from a well-intentioned place, but it it just wasn't anywhere we were going to go. We did an, a written interview one time with your dad at the site, and this would have been, uh, I don't know, maybe about a year after he had left ESPN, and Brian No, the writer that was talking to him, asked sort of how he perceived some of the, whether it is public or behind closed doors, charges of, of nepotism when it comes to your career, and he had a wonderful line, which I, I wonder <laughs> if it has been shared with you in private, which was, uh, well, I got fired and he's still there. So at some point his star surpassed mine with the bosses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Dad, dad's always got the quick sense of humor. And while I would, uh, 
I would dispute that I've come anywhere close to what dad's accomplished in his career. That is, you know, still far off in the distance. If I could ever get there. I mean, I, I, I think I gained a real appreciation for what dad had accomplished. Cause again, like I said, it, it felt normal for so long. It felt like just, this is what dad did. And then when he was getting ready to leave ESPN radio, man, seeing the notes pour in yep. from our peers and colleagues, seeing the notes pour in from people around sports about just how big it had been for a guy who wasn't a gold jacket hall of fame caliber player becoming the day-to-day co-host of a radio show. Like that hadn't happened before. He was really a trailblazer in so many ways in what he did and what that opened the door for from there on out. And so, yeah, no, very kind of dad to say that, but, uh, no, and it was one of those things that was always kind of my retort to the people that would come and claim that because, again, that was how I got in the building. Like, mm-hmm. the, the last name and dad being in there was how I got in the building. And I could only look and say, all right, if this is what I actually want to do, that is going to be something that people throw at me. The only thing that I can do is keep my mouth shut. Now, not on air, but behind the scenes, keep my mouth shut, show people with my work that. This is a job I actually want to do. I'm not just here because it seems like the easy place that I could slot in. I want to be good at this. I want to be here and make for myself in this industry. And that took time and that took, you know, getting a chance to work with people and show them in person. Because I don't know who held those opinions privately or publicly. I, I know you hear it from, you know, eggs on Twitter, which is not really representative <laughs> of this conversation. But right. I always said if people felt that way, I wouldn't begrudge them because I would have probably looked at me sideways in that job. And so it was my responsibility to go like in a football locker room, like being a freshman in college, you got to go and earn the respect of your peers and the upperclassmen in that locker room by how you work and how you approach the job. And so, yeah, that was, that was always my response was, man, listen, if they, if they wanted to fire me, they had plenty of opportunities to do so both when dad was in and out of the building. So it, you know, it worked. We had a very good time with all of that. And I was super, super grateful for all the opportunities that I did have during that. So in terms of on-air presence, in terms of sense of humor, personality, it's it's pretty easy to see where at least your dad planted the seeds that then you grew into your own thing. One thing that your dad had a lot of experience with that I wonder how it translates and were there conversations, is it just something you have to learn on your own regardless of what the influence is? is working in a team, right? I mean, your dad was with Mike Greenberg for so long when you were a kid. And then when you guys were working together, it was you and Trey Wingo. Any of the um, play-by-play stuff he did, obviously that is always going to be part of a team. Is there any advice he gave you or was there anything you picked up just by watching him? Because he played that, what, what what I call, you know, I talk about radio as it's it's baseball right it's it's not a depth chart it's a position uh so the number one and the number two it doesn't mean number two is less important he just does a different thing your dad was the first number two I can remember on the national level being a shining star where he becomes the star of the show even if he's not the one driving things forward so is there advice he can give you in that role or is that just a matter of you have to do the best with what is handed to you Um, I I think it's probably more the latter. Like dad's advice was always just, you know, how to approach the job from a work standpoint. Like, Hey, here's the, you know, and I got to see that up close and personal, what his preparation looked like, you know, both on the radio show. And when I started calling games, he was the first person I went to and I got to call a couple of games with him on radio early on. Those were my first kind of forays 
into live games. And so it was a lot of, hey, what questions are you asking coaches when you get on these calls? What kind of things do you look for in a game? How do you take your notes for this? How do you structure your game board? So it was a lot of that. But I think like you mentioned on the, the team aspect of it too, I thought the thing that dad always did, and he did it without knowing, like this wasn't something advice that he could give to me because like going back to playing football, being a dad, like he's there to try and make sure every, he makes everyone else feel very valued in the process. Right. Like that was another one of the things when I talked to people inside the building about dad, they're like, he was like, he always had time for people. He always had something he was going to do to help people. You know, I, I was at, Mississippi State with him calling, uh, I was calling the, the TV game of Mississippi State and NC State this past fall, and Dad was on the radio call for that with Learfield. And we were after the game talking to a couple of the runners who were students at uh, Mississippi State, and a story came up about how the last time my dad had been at Mississippi State, one of the runners had sent him a resume. He had gotten in front of someone at ESPN, and he had, you know they ended up working at ESPN after that. And Dad, you know, barely remembered it until someone brought it up to him because, again, someone asked for help and he was there to help them out. Because in his mind, if you're there for the right reasons, if you're willing to work hard, why shouldn't you have an opportunity to do this thing? And so that was always the thing I took away was, like you said, everyone that's a part of a college football, broadcast, everyone that's a part of a TV or radio broadcast has an important role. It might not go out over the air. But we need everybody. And so making sure that everyone feels like a valued member of that team, treating everyone involved in that process with respect, making sure that those people know you've got their back, that their ideas matter in this process. Like that's all the stuff that I noticed just watching him do, because it, it was like, like my dad always used to describe Reggie White trying to teach the hump move to their D line. They tried to give him an individual period to have Reggie teach that famous hump move. And at some point Reggie looked up in the middle and was just like, I only know how to do this. I can't teach yeah. this. Like that was kind of how dad was with the interpersonal stuff with radio is it was just so genuinely who he is that, you know, you wouldn't be able to give you a seminar on it. It's just how he treats people and getting to watch that as a son and a coworker, I think was the biggest influence on how I always tried to approach whatever team I was on, which is, Hey, everyone's got a responsibility in this. Everyone cares a lot about the product we're making here. So let's make sure that everyone knows and feels that because when you are on air, right, wrong, or indifferent, you are what I perceive as in a leadership position. And so I think it's your job to kind of conduct yourself that way. And I got to see that at the highest level for the entirety of my life. Next, we go to the ACC Network and the Atlanta Falcons. That is where Wes Durham is the play-by-play voice. Wes can also be seen every morning on the ACC Network as part of Packer and Durham in the ACC footprint. They are on the radio as well in some places. Wes and I have known each other for a long time because I live in North Carolina where his father, Woody, is an absolute icon and was always very kind to me when I was first starting out in the area on a sports station, or excuse me, on a rock station in a market where the only sports station did not have a sports morning show. So we sort of filled that void for a while, and and Woody was always super kind to us, the legendary voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, when... You know, in reality, it would have made all the sense in the world if he didn't want to waste his time with the fart and dick joke show. Wes does not run from the legacy of his father. Wes is very proud of who his father was and what he accomplished. Here is my conversation with Wes Durham. 
While if you don't live in the ACC footprint, maybe you have heard the name Woody Durham if you are in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Wes, I, I don't think it is unfair to say that the holy triumvirate here might be uh, Dean Smith, Andy Griffith, and your dad for a lot of people of a certain <laughs> age. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dimitri, that's that's high praise. Uh, <laughs> my dad would likely say something like, well, Andy Griffith clearly important dean smith very important and he was just the son of textile workers from albemarle north carolina but uh <laughs> i i think he he came along at a time obviously where longevity and association uh you know counted for a lot right and then he as he always liked to say if the teams won the games you always sounded better he goes <laughs> right. and then the pocket quote he gave time was nobody ever remembers a game where you got the hell beat out of you so um <laughs> There is some validity to that, but uh, at the same time, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like growing up as Woody Durham's son. Like, What was it like to be in North Carolina, understand what your dad's place as a broadcaster was, and then how did it sort of trickle down to you of this is what I want to do too? Um, for me, as a, as a young kid, I mean, and when I say young kid, five, six, seven mm. years old, um, I knew my dad didn't start doing Carolina until I was five and it really didn't dawn on me until 72, 73, when I was six, almost seven as to what he was doing. Right. And believe it or not, it took a, my first ever plane flight. People laugh at this all the time. In fact, I just told the story last week to some people, my first ever plane flight was from we lived in Greensboro my dad was still a day-to-day TV sports anchor at the CBS affiliate in addition to doing Carolina and we took a plane flight from Greensboro North Carolina and ended up in San Francisco now we went Huntsville Alabama to LAX and then to San Francisco because those are the days that you know nobody had exclusivity right in the <laughs> right air flying business um and Carolina was playing a game against Cal Berkeley but I tell that story because we sat on the front row at Cal Berkeley. It was during the, obviously the semester break in school and Carolina played Cal that night. And then the next morning we got on a seven forty seven in 1972, December of 1972 and flew to Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> and I, I, at that point, all the lights and everything that, you know, my dad did. And here we were with the North Carolina basketball team. And I was, six and change, almost seven years old. And I was flying with the North Carolina basketball team to Hawaii. And I realized then my dad did something and not everybody else's dad did, you know, that kind <laughs> right. of thing. Um, and so gradually I became fascinated. I love sports. Every, you know, obviously every kid does at some point. I played baseball and basketball and things like that. But every kid falls in love with sports in a different way. And for me, you know, I fell in love with Carolina and going to the games and then, you know, recreating the games in the driveways and everything else and you know, playing football in the front yard with friends and so forth. But invariably what drew me closer and closer to what I ultimately did with my life was the media guides and the game programs. Because hmm. to me, the media guides for the teams and the game programs my dad would bring back, they were just these larger-than-life people that were in these programs and in these guys, right? And it, and I will tell you here in, you know, 2022, there's a part of me that misses 
the media guide. There's a part of me that misses the game program mm-hmm. uh, because those were kind of like the connection to all these places my dad went. I mean, North Carolina went and played in Spain one Christmas, not long after we went to Hawaii. They went to Hawaii a couple of years later, and my mom and I didn't go. My dad went on the trip and came back, and I wanted the game program because I knew it wasn't going to be in English. I knew it wasn't <laughs> right. going to be, you know, it was it was in a whole different language. But it was the media guides and the game programs that did it for me. And then invariably, as I got older, he, you know, I would hang around him when he did work. Like mm-hmm. when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I could remember watching him get ready for football games, doing the charts and cards and um, going on road trips with him and things like that. And knowing how that preparation kind of that you saw on Wednesday and Thursday ended up being something on Saturday in football or Wednesday nights in basketball. And that was the real, that was the real hook for me. And so you know, at about 14 years of age, I told him, you know, I, I think I really want to try and get into this. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate because I had a, I knew where my ceiling was going to be athletically at an early age <laughs> and high school was going to be about it. And that was a stretch. And so, uh, you know, from the time I was 14 or 15 years old, I was thinking about, you know, how in the world can I possibly do this for a living? And you know, God's blessed me to a point where, you know, I've been able to have my own career as a result. So for people that may not know the Atlanta Falcons, the ACC network for a time, Georgia Tech, the Fox Sports Regionals, I mean, you have carved out a really nice Mm -hmm. career for yourself. I I wonder, going back to the early days of you doing play-by-play, in your mind, what was the... Um, I guess, I guess balance that you wanted to achieve between knowing that your dad could help open some doors for you, but also not wanting to just be Woody's kid in this business. Well, I think there's two ways to, that I always approach that situation. Number one, I knew that I was going to be judged fairly or unfairly when people found out who I was. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, there was going to be an impression that somebody would have in, automatically the minute they found out well that's woody durham's son there was going to be somebody would make a decision one way or another in their head okay um rightly or wrongly okay fair or unfair whatever you want to call it and so i thought about that a lot because my dad told me he said you know there may be people who say you're going to have an advantage in this industry because you're my son he said but the reality of it is at some point your work has to stand on its own and he told me that after my sophomore year in college, mm-hmm. because I did some games as a freshman, but I did a lot of games as a sophomore. And so I would have these tapes and I bring home these tapes and, you know, he would, he had a little bit of a drive in the work situation and he would travel. And he, I remember he had a cassette player and he would listen to games. And my mom would tell me your dad listened to your game the other night while he was getting ready and things like that. And I thought that was great. But then after my sophomore year, I spent a summer working in television and he told me then, he said, all those tapes you gave me last summer, you need to send them to other people. He said, cause I can tell you what I think you need to do, but you need to put it in front of other people because you need to get your work to other folks. I'm not, I can't be the only judge of your work. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I spent the next couple of years doing was trying to get my work out to other places and other people in the business and almost create kind of, you know, your own, mentoring network if you will sure and long story short one of those guys that i got my tape to is ultimately the way i found out about what became my first job 
out of college. Mm-hmm. So my dad was right in that respect. And, you know, I think that that was just one of the many things we talked about. I mean, we would spend conversations about preparation. We would spend conversations about, you know, like uh, possessives in the English language during the game, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. And all the, all that kind of stuff just kind of stacked on top of a, one another, layer after layer after layer after layer, so that when you're on the air, you have at least a really, really strong foundation of your preparation and the fact that you, you know, you've got competency to do the games. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, I, I think it slowly built confidence, too. And I think that really helped my college experience be, you know, pretty important to me. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I do, you know, I was thinking about your career as we set this up uh, to chat. And mm-hmm. until you came to the ACC network, the bulk of it, uh, geez, almost all of it, right, was outside of the state of North Carolina. Was that just the way it worked out or was that important to you? I think when I think when I went to Georgia Tech in 1995, I came back into the region, if you will. Okay. Sure. Because then I was making trips into North Carolina for State, Duke, Carolina, Wake Forest, right? Um, and so, so that was that was good. That was you know kind of that was the reason I came to Georgia Tech. I had mm-hmm. an opportunity to go someplace else, and I chose Georgia Tech because I wanted to be in the ACC. And quite frankly, I wanted to do games with my dad. Yeah, I mean, he was a big part of my decision to go to Georgia Tech. Um, went to television at forty-seven, Dimitri. There were a lot of people who thought I'd just stay at Georgia Tech forever. In fact, I had started doing the NFL. I had done the NFL for nine years. The relationship between the Falcons and Georgia Tech was terrific. Um, there have been a few things that developed along the way. Tony Barnhart and I were doing a radio show in Atlanta that people seemed to like, stuff like that. And everything was good. Don't get me wrong. But my dad also, when when I got involved in the television situation, um, you know, we had a brief conversation, just one day, matter of fact, and I said, well, I'm going to go do this screen test for TV because I may do a couple games this year. And the screen test turned into something more, and he came to me and said, so how's it going? I said, well, believe it or not, they've offered me a package of games. Mm-hmm. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, so I've got to make a decision on Georgia Tech or TV. And he said, well, what are you thinking? And I said, to be perfectly honest, if I don't go to TV now, I may never have the opportunity. Yeah. And he said, you're exactly right. And I said, so I think I'm probably going to take it because financially it's about an even deal. And believe it or not, that was one of the more quicker, impactful conversations because it was validating my thinking. And my mom later told me he was proud of me for the way I made the decision because he saw that, I had kind of fulfilled my obligation at Georgia Tech. I'd done as much as I could do. I'd had success. And this was going to be something that created an energy for me that I hadn't had in a while. And he's right. And he was right. And it made a huge difference in the way I started my television career with Fox and Raycom. And then, you know, after six years at Fox and Raycom is when ESPN launched the ACC Network in August of 19. And you know, I've been fortunate to to play kind of two roles in that situation, and it's helped me also kind of be, you know, more nimble with my career as I get older, which sometimes I think some of us in this business, as we get older, we don't want to be as nimble. <laughs> right. uh, but, but for me, you know, working with somebody as talented as Packer is on the Daily Show, 
has been good, but at the same time, too, it's also been incredibly taxing because it's happening in a different city. Uh, sometimes it comes at the cost of games, things of that nature. But I've learned, I, I mean, again, here I am later in my career learning a lot more about this business as I continue to go on, and that's something I try and challenge myself to as well. Have I ever told you about your dad yelling at me one time? <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to that club. Uh, so the first you know, time I met your dad, yeah, I was... Mine, mine might have... Mine was a math grade. I don't know what yours was, but I'm going to guess it wasn't over a math grade. <laughs> it was not a math grade. Fortunately, by the time I met your father, the, that phrase, math grade, was no longer a part of my life. Uh, but uh, okay, good. the first time I met your dad was in the press box uh, in, at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. I think they were playing Virginia mm-hmm. Tech, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it was the first time that I had actually gone to a game, sat in the press box, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, press boxes, they set up their spread before the game, right? Like, everyone come get your food before we get started. And I, uh, oh, they were having, they had a, a buffet of chili dogs that day. And I saw your dad, and I went to put my hand out to shake his hand, and I hit my plate just the right way where he flipped my chili dog up onto my shirt, right? And he jokingly said, oh, well, I I guess you can tell people I did that to you. So I went on the radio the next day and said that exact thing and played it up like, oh, you know, Woody Durb threw a chili dog at me, et cetera, et cetera. So he used to come every year we would do a fundraiser, 24 hours from the North Carolina Children's Hospital, right? And he, right, sure. he and Butch and Roy would all come together and they would sit with my partner and I and we would have a, just a great time, uh, you know, sharing mm-hmm. stories, all those kind of things. And I introduced your dad one morning as uh, here's the man who threw a chili dog at me one time at Keenan Stadium. And there was a brief, you know, like when you think you're having fun with someone and you can see in their eyes, oh, something just changed right there. I messed up right there. He, he said mm-hmm. to me, like kind of in a raised voice, like, I wish you would quit telling that damn story because I've had two people ask me if that's real, and it's obviously not. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. I um, I wish I'd have known that story a long time ago. Um, <laughs> really? Did you throw a hot dog at Dimitri? That's right. Um, you know, what? No. I can hear it now. My last conversation in this episode is with Spike Eskin. His dad, Howard, is an icon in the Philadelphia sports radio world, really in Philadelphia sports, period. Spike is now the brand manager at WFAN in New York, was obviously at 94 WIP in Philly before that. One of the interesting things about this conversation is how much I learned that Spike subconsciously both learned and rebelled against as he grew up watching and paying attention to his father's career. Before we get into this conversation, I do want to tell you, you'll notice that Spike's phone is not the best quality. We didn't have the best connection, but I think you can still understand everything he is saying. That is why uh, I'm leaving it in as is. Might be a little bit uh, clunky, I guess, to listen to, but I think you can understand him perfectly fine. Your dad, Howard, obviously is one of the originators of sports talk, certainly in Philadelphia, on the East Coast. And I wonder, how did you view what your dad did when you were younger? Because there was really kind of no context for this business at that time. So when I was younger, I, I've, I've thought about this actually a lot because people have asked me, well, what was it like to be his son? The problem is I don't really have any context because it is the only 
thing I know. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, like, I don't know what it's like to have your dad not be like that. So it, uh, like anything else, I think, like anyone else who had a dad, had, uh, had its really cool pluses, like being at, you know, I was at game six of the 1986 World Series. I have mm. pictures of me with, you know, sitting on the couch with Wayne Gretzky looking obviously like bored, like I wanted to go home. Like that's, that's how <laughs> regular it was to me. I wore uh, Charles Barkley's old clothes when I was in high school, you know. So like there are all these really cool experiences. But then he was pretty polarizing, right? So um, having school, having their dads like not like your dad it's weird <laughs> um having you know there was uh, some guy tried to kill him once at a live broadcast uh there were people that showed up at the house being weird like it was a uh, it had its negatives too and then sometimes you just want to be a kid and right. you know and just to have like a, a regular dad but i i think like um you know when i uh, but that ever i not that isn't over overstated every kid like has those things so i think for me it was like it was mostly normal it's only when i look back at it now and have some context about all of it that i i think it was i think more about it now probably than so whether it is the guy showing up at the live broadcast trying to kill him or people being around the house, those are obviously <laughs> traumatizing, right? Like th those are obvious things that would stick with you in a way. I wonder what it was like to be young Spike and have his friend's dads telling him to his face how much they do not like your father. Yeah, it's just uncomfortable. It's just like <laughs> one of those things where uh, – I. You, it is, I, I think it's really hard for me to describe sometimes because it, again, like I, I, I don't mean to make it like more than it is or less than it is. It was only that I seemed to be going through that and not a lot of other people did. Now, like eventually I ended up going to a school starting in eighth grade where like Mike Schmidt's kids were there and Dr. J's kids were there and Eric Gregg's. Uh, sons were there and like all of a sudden I was around people whose parents also would uh, talk shit on them occasionally so uh, <laughs> it, it probably felt a little more normal there um, but you know being a kid is hard and um, and anything that makes it harder seems like the end of the world when it happens so yeah, um, I wish I remembered it better now uh, I wish I remembered what I felt like then I'm sure it it wasn't great but you know, I, I also left childhood with a, um, a a knowledge of sports radio that I didn't know that I had that has sort of benefited me later in life. So it's so all, all evens out, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so in the beginning of your broadcast career, though, you mentioned that now it evens out. But at the beginning of your broadcast career, you were doing rock radio, uh, you know, in Chicago and Philadelphia. Uh, and I wonder how much of that was about looking to, like, this was the business you wanted to go in. Certainly your dad could help bestow some knowledge on you, but I wonder how much of a different format was about trying to forge your own path and be more in this business than just Howard's kid. Yeah, I think maybe subconsciously it was that. I don't think it was consciously. Like, mm -hmm. consciously, when I, transferred, when I transferred from USC to Syracuse after my freshman year, I wanted to do sports and, and I think the thing that I didn't like about sports when I was at Syracuse, I just, everyone seemed to be, uh, there's like a certain kind of kid that goes to college that wants to be a sports broadcaster. And I was not <laughs> that kid. And right. I, I, I like, I, 
I loved the idea of communicating with people and I loved radio, but I, I felt like being around people who wanted to be sports broadcasters when I was 19 years old or whatever was annoying. And, um, and, but, but I think that pivot was really important for me because it ended up with, um, a career that was not in the, in the early sense was not defined by what he was, you know, and then yeah. maybe, you know, when I worked at, at YSP and Q101, I didn't even use a, any last name. I just went by Spike, like it was on my business cards. And that was probably me trying to um, be my own, you know, be my own person and, and uh, have my own path. And I, I think I did. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was, it was important for me to do that. I don't think it was conscious, like, you know, I'm not going to be Howard Eskin's kid, um, but uh, but I'm sure subconsciously it was it was part of it, you know. Yeah. So as you're starting, and you mentioned that you didn't use the last name, obviously you are in different markets and it's a different format. But I wonder just how much advice you sought out about broadcasting in general from him as you were getting started. None. Wow. Um, I I yeah I learned a lot, but I don't think I ever asked him for his advice one time i i think like if i were to remember two specific times he gave me advice one we fought about it it was when after i graduated college i offered a promotions assistant job at wist a place that i had worked at previously and i turned it down um and he got mad at me because he said i needed to get my foot in the door there but my my reasoning was if I go back as a promotions assistant, that's where they will always see me as. And mm-hmm. I don't, that's not what I want to be. And I don't want to do it. And the only other time he gave me some, when I was moving back from Chicago, he gave me some <laughs> negotiating advice uh, with <laughs> Philly, which turned out to be pretty precious. He definitely, he always negotiated his own contract. So he knew that. And that was, uh, that was, he gave me some good advice there, but I, I never asked him. I, Again, like when I look back on it, a lot that I learned and I know, I know because I was around and watched him from a a broadcasting perspective and from a a personality perspective, but I didn't ever ask him. Oh, and one other time, one other time that I'm remembering. So when I was doing WIP shows, when I came back to WIP, I ran the website and I would do these late night shows once a week. And he was at the time doing sports for the Fox affiliate, which was next door. And he would come in around me and was over to like fuck with me for 20 minutes or whatever. <laughs> he walked in as some caller asked me a Flyers question. And I was just like, I said, I didn't know the answer because I, I didn't follow the Flyers that much. And he came in and he was like, don't ever say that. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they don't know what you don't know. And he said, like, there's always a way if you need to to figure out a way to talk around it, to uh, compare it to something you do know or ask them the question. Don't say on the air that you don't know. And I, I didn't uh, listen to him, um, but <laughs> I thought it was good advice that I've, that I've used and given to other people. <laughs> so it seems like it sounds like you are very adamant about, like you certainly understand who your dad is, but you are very adamant about forging your own path and making your own mistakes and learning your own lessons in this business. It always have been, it sounds like. Yeah, I think you have to be, right? Because I, I think also a, a lot of the people who are talented, like my dad was, is 
is is um and i think you could you could learn this from any uh high level talent in our industry is that a lot of what they do they do sort of um instinctively and they understand something that other people do not and it's a very it's like a secret that they don't even know and uh, you know, if you try, and and it's one style. Like if you were to learn from Angelo or Carton or um, or you know my dad or somebody like that, you would learn one specific way to do it. Um, and I think and and they they only know how they've succeeded um, most of the time because it is like a, a natural thing that comes from them that they they take this natural talent they have. And they uh, they work really hard, and they end up great. And it, I think on some level, it's probably a lot like you don't see the greatest basketball players of all time turning into coaches most of the time. Right. You see journeymen become coaches, right? Like I'm not a particularly talented host. Um, I know how to do it, I guess, but like that's the reason why why that's the case. And I um, I don't think it was about forging my own path. I'm glad I didn't ask for advice all the time. Um, and I'm glad that I learned from him, but I'm glad that I learned from a, a lot of different people eventually too. All right. And that is where we say goodbye. Thanks to Mike, Wes, and Spike for taking the time to do this today. I think this is a really fun way uh, to look at and celebrate Father's Day in an industry where so many people have dads that made their way in. I mean, personally, my dad's a chef. JB's dad was a cop. Like, you know, this website is not run by people that had broadcasting families, but we are very much aware that those exist. I think it is always fun to hear the stories of how guys that go into the same business as their father decide to go about making their own path and creating their own identity. So thanks so much for listening. Obviously, you saw this week at the website that the BSM uh, Podcast Network is becoming a reality. We will talk more about that next uh, next week and let you meet some of the hosts. Until then, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening. Listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.